I hope you uh, picked up a, a copy of the uh, sermon notes as uh, you came in. As uh, we continue our study of the uh, book of Hebrews, where we are currently in chapter 11, which of course is known as the Great Hall of Fame of Faith. Now it's important to remind ourselves uh, why the book of Hebrews was written. Now we covered this material when we started our study, uh, and this is the, I believe, the 30th message, so uh, it might be good for this reminder right now. Uh, the book of Hebrews was written to a house church of Jewish believers who had started very well in their Christian faith. In their early years, uh, they faithfully endured persecution for Christ uh, during the reign of the Roman Emperor Claudius in 49 AD. Uh, but now, 15 years later, in 64 AD, they faced a new wave of persecution uh, during the reign of Nero, which was much, much more severe than the earlier persecution. Uh, Nero was a madman who literally burnt down uh, much of the city of Rome in his desire to refurbish the city. But the fire demoralized and angered the Roman citizens who lost most of their earthly goods. With public sentiment against the government running at an all-time high, Nero blamed the Christians for starting the fire. And this was a very clever move on the part of Nero since Christians were already the targets of widespread hatred and slander throughout the Roman Empire. As a result, Christians suffered imprisonment. Uh, they were tortured. Uh, they were crucified. They were literally used as human torches to light up Nero's garden parties. Uh, they were sewn inside of animal skins to be devoured by predator animals. And it was during this time of persecution that both Peter and Paul were executed for their allegiance to Christ. The Hebrew Christians began to struggle with the cost of commitment to Christ. Since confessing Christ could cost them their lives, some actually withdrew from the church, as we saw in chapter 10. And the remainder of the church was in spiritual retreat. And they were in danger of denying Christ and returning to their old Judaism in an effort to save their lives. Bottom line, this little house church of Jewish believers had grown weary. And they were frightened, trying to live their Christian faith out in a society that had become hostile to their Christian faith. Hebrews is a sermon. The book of Hebrews is a sermon to a church in crisis, a crisis of faith, a failure of nerve. Hebrews was written to encourage the frightened members of this house church to maintain their Christian faith by keeping their eyes fixed on the prize, Jesus, who also was tortured by the Romans. 
and died on a Roman cross to pay for the penalty of their sin. Therefore, it is extremely important to read and study chapter 11 in light of the author's purpose to encourage the Hebrew believers not to shrink back in unbelief, but to press forward in their faith, even in the face of attack and persecution. In chapter 11, as we've already seen, the author presents from their own Old Testament scripture, character after character, who when faced with seemingly impossible situations, did not cave in, did not retreat, but continued to go forward in their faith in God. And today, we come to the example of Moses in a message I've simply entitled, Lessons on Faith from the Life of Moses. Now, I doubt very seriously uh, that we will finish the message today, but let's uh, begin. We'll see how far we can get, and then uh, we'll pick up uh, wherever we stop uh, next week. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to chapter 11. And let's read verses 23 through 27, which will be the focal verses for this message. And, and note especially, note especially the emphasis on faith overcoming fear. Because this would have been very pertinent to the Hebrews' situation as they were de- dealing with fear concerning the Roman Empire and the persecution that was brought against them. Verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict or the king's command. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward. Verse 27, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Now, the first lesson that we see out of Moses' life is faith's valor. And, of course, we learn this lesson from not Moses, but Moses' parents. Uh, You remember our last message was on passing the baton of faith to my child. And it is obvious uh, Moses' parents did a very good job at passing the baton of faith uh, to their child, Moses. Look again at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, the historical background is found in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and then Acts chapter 7, uh, verses 17 through 21. That is Stephen's speech when he sort of rehearses the history of Israel. Now, let me just rehearse the uh, story for you. Most of you are very familiar with it. Uh, You remember that uh, God, in his sovereign plan, uh, brought Joseph initially 
uh, to Egypt. Just a wonderful, marvelous example how God causes all things uh, to work for the good of his child, for the good of his children. Uh, and uh, God used Joseph uh, to save his people from famine as he was able to bring Jacob, his daddy, and all of his brothers and their wives to be cared for in Egypt. And there in Egypt, they began to flourish as a people. They began to uh, wonderfully multiply. And then the scripture tells us that there arose in Egypt a Pharaoh that did not know or remember Joseph after some years had passed. And he turned against the people of God. And he enslaved them. And he uh, induced them into common to be common laborers, to build their buildings, to build their bridges and their dams, their pyramids. And it was a very hard and it was a very difficult life. But they continued to multiply greatly as a race. And then eventually Pharaoh and the other Egyptian leaders began to see the large numbers of, of the Israelites and they feared. Uh, they reasoned to themselves well, goodness, if, if we get attacked by an enemy with the number of Hebrew, uh, Hebrew slaves, they might rise up, unite with our enemy, and we will be overcome. So Pharaoh determined that the population needed to be reduced. And so he brought first, you remember, the Hebrew midwives into him, and he commanded the Hebrew midwives that if a son was born, they were to kill that baby boy. And he commanded them to do so. And uh, you remember how uh, they refused to obey the command of Pharaoh, and they spared the little boys, and how God wonderfully protected the Hebrew midwives uh, for doing so. And so then uh, Pharaoh uh, issued a command to the entire population. And he told the Hebrew slaves that if you uh, have a son born to you, you're to take that son and throw him into the Nile River to drown him, to kill that son. And if they did not do so, uh, they would lose their lives for not obeying uh, the life of the king. So that is the background. And Moses is born to this wonderful couple. They were out of the tribe of Levi, uh, a priestly family. And, of course, the scripture says they saw that Moses was a beautiful child. They understood, as we talked about in one of our previous messages, that a child is a what? Gift from God. And not only is a child a gift from God, that child has a destiny to fulfill. That child is an arrow that has a target to hit. And, there, and they also realize that this was a stewardship God had given them. And they would be held accountable to that stewardship. So... Without fear of the king's command, they hid Moses. And they hid Moses in their home for three months. And then it got to the place where they understood it would be impossible to hide him much longer. And that if he were to be found out by the Egyptian soldiers, he would be put to death. So you know the plan that they devised. Uh, they put him in a wicker basket. And they knew where Pharaoh's daughter would be bathing. And he was let down the Nile uh, river and a shallow portion of the river where he would drift right in, in, uh, to Pharaoh's uh, daughter. And uh, of course back in, uh, in the reeds was what his older sister Miriam uh, watching all of this. Remember Miriam and uh, Aaron, uh, was his sister. Aaron was his brother. 
And, uh, of course, uh, Pharaoh's daughter uh, found him, immediately fell in, in love with him, and embraced him as her own. History tells us that this particular uh, daughter was childless, and so uh, she just became enamored with this uh, little boy. And then, of course, Miriam uh, all of a sudden uh, comes up and says, well, you're going to need a, uh, a wet nurse. You're going to need a nursing mother. Would you like me to find one for you among the Hebrew slaves? And she said, yes, that would be great. And, of course, it was Moses' own mother. Uh, and which gave her the opportunity throughout his formative years, those early years, uh, not only to uh, care for his physical needs, but to instruct him in the ways of God. So it would have been in those very earliest years that he would have been told about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would have been told about the promise of God to give them a promised uh, land. And that would have been uh, just drilled in this young child's heart. And then, of course, you know that uh, Pharaoh's uh, daughter literally adopted him as her own, and uh, he actually became a royal family that was in line himself uh, to, be, uh, to be Pharaoh. Now, look at that next statement in your notes. This is what I want you to see, which would have been very pertinent to the Hebrew Christians in the situation that they were dealing with, with the Roman persecution. And it's very relevant to our day as we are increasingly living in a society that is becoming hostile to the Christian faith, to Christian truth and values. Moses' parents demonstrated their faith in God as the final authority. That's what we need to see here. They demonstrated their faith in God as the final authority when they disobeyed Pharaoh's command, which was contrary to the laws of God. Look at that next statement in your notes. When Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two twenty-one, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's, it is not, notice in your notes, God and Caesar as if they are on equal planes. It was and will and always will be what? God and what? Caesar. The next statement in your notes, and this is the important application uh, to the Hebrew Christians, the important application to us as well today. No person, no person, no authority or government ever has the right to command what is contrary to God's laws. And if they do, it is the duty, not the option, but the duty of the Christian to disobey. Faith in God often calls us to stand alone in obedience to God's truth regardless the consequences. Amen? So no person, no authority, no government ever has the right to command what is contrary to God's laws. And if they do, it is the duty of the Christian to disobey. Faith in God often calls us to stand alone in obedience to God's truth, regardless of the consequences. Just two great examples. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Exodus 1. This is the, uh, what I alluded to just a moment ago, the Hebrew midwives who disobeyed the command of the king because it was contrary to God's law to put little ones 
to death because there is the sanctity of human life. Every life is created in the image of God and is therefore precious and valuable. Let me begin reading at verse 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other was named Pua, and he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then you shall live. Uh, but the midwives, notice, I love this, they feared God. They feared God more than they feared, what, the king and his command. And, and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing? And let the boys live. And I like this creativity. And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Well, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous, and they give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very, very mighty. And it came about because the midwives feared God that he established households for them. Uh, look at another great example of, uh, of uh, believers taking a stand against a command that is contrary to the laws of God. Turn over to Daniel chapter 3. Most of you are familiar with this marvelous story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't have to say much about it. Just remind you of the fact that they did defy the king's order in obedience to God. You remember the king uh, had established this huge statue and uh, whenever the music began to play, he had given the order that the people would bow down and worship that idol as their God. And these three Hebrews refused to do so, which enraged the king. But I want you to see the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, even if we perish, even if we die as a thought, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And of course, you know how God did miraculously uh, deliver them from the furnace of fire. And you remember as the king looked down, he saw that fourth image with them, which, of course, was the pre-incarnate uh, Christ himself. But let me also remind you, where in the example with the midwives and the uh, three Hebrews here in Daniel, although they were miraculously delivered and spared, there have been many believers throughout history that went to their death following God, refusing to obey a command contrary to the laws of God. And you need to understand also that, that the Romans put to death believers in that early New Testament church from their perspective because of civil disobedience. See, we look at it and we, we, we put the focus on their worship of God, their love of Jesus, which was, of course, the, the essence of the matter. But from the Roman government perspective, it was civil disobedience. You need to understand that in the Roman Empire, they didn't give a hoot who you worshipped. They, they didn't give a flip that the Christians worshipped Jesus. You could worship anybody you wanted to. As long as you acknowledge that Caesar was the final authority. 
And all a Christian had to do in the Roman Empire was to go into their, one of their temples, burn a little incense, and say three words. Jesus is Lord. And walk out, and he was perfectly fine. But the Christians refused to do that. The Christians refused to acknowledge that Caesar was their final authority. They acknowledged that Jesus was their Lord. Jesus alone was their final authority. Therefore, they refused to obey. They practiced civil disobedience. And because of their civil disobedience, they were persecuted. They were put to death. Now, folks, I hope you understand how relevant this is to our own day. Again, as I mentioned earlier, our culture, I'm talking about the culture in the United States of America, is becoming increasingly hostile to the Christian faith, to tr Christian truth, to Christian values. I mean, they first took prayer out of schools, take God's presence out of the lives of our children. Then they attack the sanctity of human life through the Roe v. Wade uh, decision. And you need to understand the importance of the abortion issue from a, from a, from a spiritual perspective. See, the reason their life has intrinsic worth and value is what? The existence of the personal infinite God who created that life. So you need to understand, every time there's an abortion, there's not only the death of a baby, but there's the declaration that God is dead, that life has no value, that life has no intrinsic worth. And now we see this great attack on what? Traditional marriage. That marriage is between a man and a woman. And their attempt there is what? to attack our entire value system, to nullify it. Because what? They don't want our value system. They don't want to come to our light. What did Jesus say? Men love what? Darkness more than the light. And they won't come to the light lest their deeds be reproved. And they hate the light. And their desire is to snuff that light out. And then we're seeing, in addition to this, a tremendous assault on religious liberty. So we could easily, in a very short period of time, if we're not there already in some incidences and circles, where to follow Jesus will mean to commit civil disobedience. It will mean to acknowledge that Jesus alone is my final authority, and it's not the government and to follow him, and to follow him alone. Look at, we'll just start this second point, and then we'll pick up here. Look at faith's value. Faith's values, and of course, this now is uh, focusing on Moses uh, himself. And, 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 and let me just set this up. The verses beginning here at uh, verse 24 through 27 it's, it's talking about when Moses came to a very specific point in his life. I mean, it was a crossroads of decision for this man in his uh, mature years as an adult. And the decision was, 
am I going to follow the world or am I going to follow God? Am I going to take the easy path or I'm going to take the hard path? Am I going to take the path of leisure and pleasure? Or am I going to take the path that's going to mean nothing but abuse and persecution and reproach? And again, put this in the context of what the Hebrew Christians are going through. And realize how relevant this is. Like we just saw, how relevant it was to realize they have a duty to stand for Christ in the midst of a very dark and evil and perverse generation. They have a duty. And so Moses is at this crossroads of decision. Am I going to follow God or take the, the easy way? And so let's look at the first point where Moses turned his back to worldly prestige. He turned his back to worldly prestige to follow God's plan. Look at verse 24. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The historical background, again, is Exodus 2, verses 11 uh, and 12 and Acts 7. And I would like you to turn to the Acts passage because the Acts passage shares a little more light on this than uh, the Exodus passage does. Exodus chapter 7, verses 22 through 25. Notice that it says, And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. Uh, you need to understand that uh, secular history tells us that Moses was a great man in the nation of Egypt. He had uh, made a name for himself as a military commander. And he actually led the Egyptian army against a host of Ethiopians that came against which uh, he was lauded uh, for. And so uh, talking about the fact that uh, as the... Uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter adopted into the royal family. He was educated in the learning of the Egyptians. Again, this man of uh, power and words and deeds. And then verse 23, but when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. In Exodus, it says to, to come out to his brethren. It, it, it's, in Jewish tradition, it's believed that, that it's right at this point where Moses knew he had to make a decision. Am I going to live as the son of Pharaoh's daughter with the possibility of being in line to be, become Pharaoh? Or am I going to identify with the people of God who at that time were slaves and suffering affliction? And that phrase to go out and visit, or in Exodus chapter 2, it, is, it has come to be understood that it was at this point that he turned his back on his identity as Pharaoh's daughter, in order to identify with the people of God. A very definite, deliberate, intentional decision uh, that, that he made. Verse 24, And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, one of his Hebrew brethren, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And then don't miss verse 25. And he supposed, Moses supposed, 
that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Now, we don't know how it all worked, but it's very obvious that he was instructed in the ways of God, as we mentioned earlier, by his mother in his very early childhood years. And that never left his heart. And God began to work on this young man's heart. And apparently, as God worked on his heart, he came to have this burden, this understanding that God had put him in this position to deliver his Hebrew brethren. And so he turned his back on his identity as Pharaoh's daughter to identify with the people of God and to be used as an instrument to deliver them. And that's what he thought he was, what he was doing when he struck down the Egyptian on this particular uh, case. Uh, look over at uh, Mark 8. just want to put this within a New Testament context, the decision that he made. Look at Mark chapter 8. Verses 34 through 38. We probably have to close with this and then we'll pick back up here next week. Look at verse 34 of Mark chapter 8. And he summoned, Jesus summoned the multitude with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him what? Deny. See, that's exactly what Moses did. He denied. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's Dar- He turned his back on worldly prestige. He turned his back on that entire life that was his. And folks, don't miss what that offered him. Egyptian was the world power of that day. If he saw it, he could have it. Untold wealth. What, just whatever pleasure he wanted. Every single individual would have been at his beck and call. And he gave all of that up. All of that up. To what? To suffer. To suffer with God's people. So Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his what? Cross. And what? Follow me. Even if it means standing against a godless government and saying, I refuse to obey a command contrary to the laws of God. I turn my back on everything the world offers, and I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to be true to Him regardless of the consequences, even if that means a cross. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. Verse 35, he says, he gives a reason. Because for whoever wishes to save his life shall what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And see, that's exactly what was being offered Moses. The whole world on a platter. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That was what was at stake. For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen? So what we need to see here, and again, relate it to the Hebrew Christian situation. They're under persecution. They're scared. They're in retreat. And then he holds up Moses' parents. That they didn't fear the edict, the command of the king. They stood in faith on God's truth. And Moses, he turned from a life of pleasure and power and prestige to what? To follow God and to know obedience to God, knowing it meant abuse, knowing it meant persecution, knowing it meant a life of hardship. Father, um, as we've begun this message, uh, Father, I believe we not only see the relevance of this message to the Hebrew Christians, but we see the relevance of this message to our own lives today. Father, it is a fact that we are living increasingly in a secular society that has a hatred, that has a disdain for the Christian faith and our values and the truth that we present. And Father, it would be very easy for us to try to hide in the four walls of the local church and just enjoy our little fellowship together. But Father, the reality is, and we can all see it, they're coming after us. And they're pressing the point. We're under attack. And Lord, as a people, as a church, we need to see that. And we need to be taking a stand in our society. Not in anger. Not in hate. Not in defiance. But we are to speak the truth in love. And we are to remain firmly rooted in the truth. And we need to be willing, if called upon, when necessary, to stand alone regardless of the consequences. And we need to realize as a people that no person, no authority, no government ever has the right to command that which is contrary to your laws. And so, Father, as the pastor of this church, uh, I commit this church, and I trust these join with me in saying that we are willing to make that stand. And that, Father, I pray you'll give us the grace to pay whatever price is necessary and that we will truly deny ourselves that we would take up our cross and that we would follow you. And our motivation would be that Jesus is the prize. Our motivation would be our great love for you. And that you are worthy of such obedience and honor and sacrifice. In light of who you are and what you did for us. So Father, as we continue with this message, which I believe is a very important one in our day. Uh, continue to instruct, continue to teach, for which in Christ's name we pray, amen.